You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on sqpn.com. Computer status report. Program complete. Enter when ready. Captain, I check the engines. The warp drive is a hopeless pile of junk. Fascinating. Beam me aboard. Energize. Energize. This episode is brought to you by the SQPN store at store.sqpn.com. Go to Amazon via the link on our website and your purchase will help support our network. This show is also made possible by donations from listeners like you. Help us to continue producing quality programs and giving them away for free by supporting us with a monthly donation or a one-time gift. Go to sqpn.com donate to read how you can help. Thank you for your support. We couldn't do this show without you. Captain, incoming message. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of The Secrets of Star Trek. I am Father Roderick, and uh, if uh, Star Trek lore is true and the even episodes are much better than the uneven episodes, then this should be a good episode. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) With us, you already hear him in the background, is uh, Mike Kuypers from Shelby Township, Michigan. Good to have you on board. Hello, Father Roderick. How are you? I'm good. Also with us from Conyers, Georgia, Maria Johnson. Still wearing her um, her yellow Star Trek shirt. No, I washed it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Mark uh, from Groningen, the Netherlands. Mark de Vries, how are you, sir? I am very good, thank you. Excellent. And uh, also with us, currently on an away mission, but normally living in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Steve Nelson. How are you, Steve? I'm doing fantastic. Very good. Later on in our show, we'll have uh, the second part of our interview with um, our red shirt person of, uh, of these first two episodes, uh, Mr. Shapiro, about Star Trek and philosophy. But first of all, let me, uh, let me go make a short round here and ask you if you've seen any Star Trek lately. Maria Johnson, uh, you mentioned that you've seen the uh, <clears throat> very famous or infamous episode about... Uh, uh, about Eden with all these hippies uh, running oh, around in, yeah. a, in the garden. Is- <laughs> <laughs> I was watching it. I, I, as a matter of fact, I was watching it last night. I've been doing something fun with with the episodes. You know that you can catch the the seasons on um, on CBS. Uh-huh. So I've been watching the old episodes, but they're also running the new the new uh, remastered ones. Where they've kind oh, of yeah. tweaked the special effects, so I've been entertaining myself by watching the original show and then looking to see what what the new tweaks are. And the graphics are obviously much much nicer, but for some reason I couldn't get anything to download right, so I ended up watching the Eden show, and it just annoys me every but wait, time is it, is I this watch the, it. Is this the Eden show from the first season of the Next Generation? Is are we talking about the same show? No, no, no. The, is there another the, one? Uh, yeah. Oh. Oh, I yes. thought I thought you were talking about the show for uh, in the first season of, of Next Generation where they beam down for a, uh, sh- a shore leave and they end up on this hippie planet where where Will Wheaton's character breaks uh, a law without knowing and then he's going to be put to death and then Picard has to solve the the matter and I, I I thought you were referring to that one but apparently there's an Eden episode in uh, in the original series as well. Tell me about yes, it. Yes, I can't. I can't remember the full name of it because I guess it annoys me that much. It's something with Eden in the title. It's called the Way to Eden. To uh, the Way to Eden. All right. Yes. There's some season two. You know, some hippies who uh, 
who decide that they want to hijack the Enterprise. Actually, they hijacked another another craft and had to be rescued by the Enterprise. And so they hijacked the Enterprise to get them to this planet that that promises, uh, you know, the beauty of Eden and perfection and loveliness and wonderfulness and fulfillment. And mm-hmm. so they get there, and the the planet is poisonous, and and uh, it kills their leader. Who, by the way, reminded me of Howie. Uh, Mandel, I kept wanting him to say deal or no deal to the captain. <laughs> what is it? The flowers, sir. I touched it. It's like fire. Aurora, cut power. You are overtaxing your ship. Explosion is imminent. You've caused an interstellar incident which may have destroyed everything that's been negotiated. You've got a hard lip, Herbert. What is your destination? The planet Eden. And why did you stay away? Because you disapproved of me. How do you know what I want? You're young. Come, join us. You make it tempting. Dr. Severin is insane. Captain, it seems as though someone else is running the ship. That's right. Someone else is running this ship. I am. Similar, isn't this similar to a story from the first season of uh, the original series as well, where they, again, I think it's another shore leave, and they arrive on this planet where everything seems to be perfect, and whatever they think of materializes, and it's almost, again, like the Garden of Eden, where everything is perfect. I love that episode because it was so... It was so weird and out of character in a way for uh, for that first season. But I I love the way that they wrapped it up. There was actually some alien dude who was doing all that for them. And, and was just trying to help and to entertain. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, well, that's, that seems to be a recurring theme, this finding a heavenly place or finding paradise. I think it's also a, a perhaps uh, uh, inspired by having a low budget for these episodes and they just have to go to whatever place that has a garden. They can just film that right in Los Angeles in whatever garden or park that they can find and they don't have to do very fancy, complicated uh, special effects. I don't actually know. Is, is, was the original series filmed in, in Hollywood on, on, a, on a set or was it? did they go to different on, locations? On the Paramount, uh, their back lots. Okay. Um, yeah, that's... I, in fact, I think that influenced uh, which the, the the stories they made mostly because they they would look for. Um, I, I would assume that they they would look at all the props and all the, uh, the scenery and stuff that they had, and then probably from that would would write some of their stories. Just well, I think that they did that. For instance, there's this story where they go to this. Uh, um, I think that that's actually the Eden um, episode. Now I remember which one you're referring to, Maria. Is that the one with the kids? That don't grow up? No, that's a different one. That oh, one that is, one. Uh, that one's pretty. Mary, that one's yeah. pretty good as well, and it's that's very, Mary, yes. it's very creepy. Where you know they, they arrive on this planet, and it's kind of like a Western uh, uh, themed planet with saloons and everything, and it's 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 uh, populated by kids that don't grow up, and it turns out that if they grow up, they get ill and they die, and uh, they all have this terrible virus. And and at first again you see this this world and it's like only kids playing and it seems to be a good world you know kids are are it's it's basically a big playground and then it turns out that there's actually a, a very dark reality that's right underneath the surface that they gradually uh, discover and th- I I think that's one of the again a, a very recurring 
theme in a lot of these stories and in all the series that we've known where at first you think you're in a planet and you, you understand how it works and then bit by bit there seems there is a secret on that planet and and it turns to be a lot uglier situation it's, it's kind of reminiscent of what uh, what you see in uh, the 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 book and the movie the firm where uh, Tom Cruise's character goes to work for this big law firm and uh, and and at first it seems to be like the perfect place to work and then bit by bit he starts to discover that there's actually a, a very creepy secret um, that is that is ultimately menacing his life and uh, I, I love stories like that but mm-hmm. anyway what I liked about that episode in particular is that it seems to be the first uh, example that I can remember of a show warning about the dangers of bioengineering because they had like constructed this virus that were killing people off Oh, okay. So that was, it was actually a manufactured virus. Yeah, they were trying to like uh, create, uh, uh, I guess maybe it was genetics they were doing, and they were trying to like extend the lifespan of their race. But what it ended up doing is uh, the children aged very slowly, but as soon as they hit puberty, they died. Yeah. And so, so these children were like hundreds of years old, but they never got to grow up. Okay. I forgot that that was an, uh, an engineered vi- virus. But uh, you know, you know, in a lot of aspects, these series were uh, were well, not visionary, but they were definitely uh, already way ahead of of, uh, of any other TV series at the time in in terms of kind of predicting what what might happen in the future. Um, well, and in spite of what Roddenberry wanted to do, which was to get away from morality plays, they all were morality plays because you know, oh, yeah. at the end, it shows us that the that they didn't that there was no you had to pay the piper you're gonna die and you're gonna die absolutely and that that was why I enjoyed the incredibly cheesy episode of the new generation first season that I was referring to uh, with the you know the 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 away team or the the shore leave on this this hippie planet where everybody is uh, you know kissing everybody and it seems to be this big big community of hippies and almost like a uh, like a sectarian environment and at first everybody's like oh yeah this, oh yeah this is the coolest <laughs> yeah baby this is the coolest planet that we've ever landed on and then and then poor Wesley Crusher breaks a law I think he put it's something stupid he walks on the grass or something like that and yeah yeah our laws <laughs> tell us that he has to die so it turns out that this perfect society is only perfect because they eradicate everything that is not perfect and so it's an incredibly cheesy episode there's some terrible one of the worst acting moments i think in the next generation (laughs) history but at the same time if you look at the underlying theme of a perfect society that can only be perfect because it is literally killing anything that is not perfect and is 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 punishing everybody who uh uh transgresses even the smallest of commandments um, you start to realize that wait a second this this is a horrible totalitarian society where the this happiness is just a fake happiness it's a, it's a happiness that that negates uh, the presence of 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 imperfection and and is can that be actually a paradise well it turns out not because it's going to kill Wesley Crusher which perhaps at, certainly during that first season <laughs> for many fans wouldn't have been such a bad Don't idea. Hate. Don't hate. No, 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 no. No, I am totally, I'm a redeemed crusher hater. Um, I, I, you know, I of course didn't like the 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 hippie uh, rainbow shirts that he was wearing and it's 
well, just a horrible idea to introduce a kid with his mom on the bridge of the Star Trek Enterprise. But I've been listening to a lot of the podcast by Will Wheaton. I've read his book, Just a Geek. And uh, Will Wheaton is, by the way, I can highly recommend his uh, both his, his podcast, his writings. It is, you know, it's not always work safe. Um, so, you know, in his language, he can be a little bit, uh, let's say, exuberant. But it's at the same time, it's so funny. And he writes about his own memories of, of, of playing Wesley Crusher. And, and, and now he's done a series um, called Memories of the Future Cast. Again, this is, uh, has some explicit language. So don't listen to this with your, you know, eight-year-old kids in the, in the back of your car. But, um, but Memories of the Future Cast is a, is a, a podcast where he reads from a book that he's written about the first season of of the next generation where he comments on the episodes and so he gives his it's kind of free form comments uh, on um on the storylines and on everything and on the acting and, and he puts in a lot of his personal um, anecdotes and, and memories of how it was to play Wesley Crusher and so I, I think that together with Will Wheaton I've I've come to understand a little bit more you know Wesley and <laughs> it's just fascinating to do kind of this this re-reading of, of Star Trek history through the eyes of, of the actor who played one of the most hated characters in Star Trek <laughs> in Star Trek history Captain I suggest the Vulcan mind probe Spock you're the most cold-blooded man I've ever known why thank you doctor let's, <laughs> let's go back to this theme of um Let's say perfection and paradise and and suffering and and imperfection, um, and because we want to, as usual in our in our series, um, we want to go a little bit more in depth and talk about a certain theme. Now, this episode is posted during the Holy Week and right before Easter, and of course, for Christians, Easter is a period that combines these two realities: um, the the suffering that jesus kind of embodies in the fact that he is he is cast away he's he's condemned he has to carry his cross he dies on the cross he's humiliated and at the same time at easter christians celebrate the resurrection that 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 is not the final destiny that that actually there is a future even beyond what anyone thought was was possible and so that made me think that it could be a good idea for our our discussion today to think a little bit together about similar themes in uh in star trek history uh when it comes to suffering and self-sacrifice because i think that that is kind of the key the key idea in in during holy week it's it's the fact that that this suffering and death does not surprise jesus but he actually chooses it he wants to give his life it's kind of his ultimate gift The, the greatest love is to give your life for the ones that you love and and so that's an expression of love at least in the christian tradition which is kind of awkward and weird and difficult to understand if you're an outsider but i was wondering are there any episodes that that have similar themes um i I do remember um seeing some of these more uh let's say with deeper themes especially when it comes to self-sacrifice in a number of episodes both in the original series and in the, the next generation um, but perhaps let me first ask my panel members if they have any episodes that pop pop into their minds. Uh, the Galileo Seven episode from season one of the original series uh, shows us shows us actually both Kirk uh, and Spock in that kind of role because on the one hand, 
uh, you have Kirk, Captain Kirk. This they go on an exploration of a planet, and uh, they lose one of the away teams, and they go out to find them. And uh, Kirk is unwilling to leave behind the crew on on the planet, even though he has an ambassador that's kind of rushing him along on on their original mission. Captain's log, star date twenty eight twenty one point seven. Seven of our shipmates still have not been heard from. Our normal searching systems useless. Do you know what you've done? You've concerned yourself with only seven people. You said something about a needle in a haystack. It's useless. If they're not there, Commissioner, and they're dead by now. But then on the planet, we see uh, Spock in his leadership role. He's captain of the or, or leader of the away team, and is making some very, very unpopular uh, command decisions. Uh, so much so that that he almost has mutiny uh, on his hands. use virtually every piece of equipment aboard this craft in attaining orbit. You mean three of us must stay behind? Yes. And who's to choose? As commanding officer, the choice will be mine. And at the end of, of the episode, we see uh, Spock wanting to sacrifice himself for, for the good of the we see that later too, mm-hmm. um, but wanting to sacrifice himself for the good of the team, and but they refuse to leave him behind to die. Go back! And so they they almost sacrifice their own safety in order to save Spock, who of course didn't want to be saved because he wanted to ensure the safety of the other of the other crew members to get off the planet or to escape the imminent attack by some you know weird and quirky monster that was played by some person in a giant suit. Yeah. <laughs> but now, thanks to new technology with blinking eyes. <laughs> That's why I bought the Blu-ray to have the to see the lizard creature with blinking eyes this time. <laughs> it's, it's a totally different experience. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned Spock uh, uh, in relation to this theme of self-sacrifice. There are some authors that actually uh, uphold that that's, that Spock, in at least in a number of episodes, is almost a Christ-like figure when it comes to this. And I, my 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 first uh, thought was of Star Trek II, um, where where in the end Spock sacrifices himself to save the enterprise by what was it uh, was it this nuclear rea- uh, reactor that was melting down and he had to go in there and you know gets basically killed by uh, by radiation and he sacrifices himself and then there's this, this this very dramatic moment where he reaches out his hand and you know uh, uh, Kirk on the other side kind of through the through the glass touches that hand and and then there's this connection of friendship and 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 it's uh, isn't isn't the last word of Spock at that moment? You know, I, I'm your friend, Kirk. I'm your friend, or something like that. I have been, and I always shall be your friend. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's you beautiful. can quote from the movies. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, that, but that that you know, is, there's a yeah. Go ahead. There's an episode in the first. Well, I think it's uh, third season of of the um, original series called The Empath. Mm-hmm. And it has it has a similar theme. Um, I don't remember. I wish I had watched that one recently. But the way I understand it is, the a sun is going to supernova, and this advanced race is trying to 
save one of the planets in that system from destruction and so they they are they're testing the people or at least one of the people from one of the planets to, to see if they're worth saving mm-hmm. and they want to know if uh it's it's this um the empath is this young woman i can't remember her name but they're testing to see whether or not she was be willing to sacrifice herself to save the rest of her people that is most significant an instinct new to the essence of her being is generating compassion for another is becoming part of her functioning life system I'm I'm watching the chat room right now because we're we're um, as we are recording this we're also uh, streaming the video of the recording live and so people can join us and and chat with us and uh, Terry Jones has a, a reference to uh, a very famous uh, episode from one of the favorite episodes of, of most Star Trek fans of the the original series called the, the City on the Edge of Forever uh, right. where a woman in her 30s has to be sacrificed to keep history on track and and the Nazis from from winning the war. So it's it's uh, again it's a recurring theme in Star Trek where you know it's the good of one versus the good of of of, of the many, and yeah. and sacrifices. And Kirk is the one who has to let her die, uh, and he was in love okay. with her. All uh, right, all right. So he he was the one who had the kind of he knew she he had to let her die in order for this to happen. Yeah. So for him that was a sacrifice too. I'm in love with Edith Keeler. Edith Keeler must die. No, Jim! If I may go back to the Star Trek movies, um, I think that especially the, the second and the third movie are a direct reference to um, this Christian idea of, of the, the suffering and death of Jesus and the resurrection. Because, of course, at the end of the, the second movie, everybody was shocked. Like, how can they kill off Spock? That is that is something that perhaps J.J. Abrams is supposed to do. <laughs> That's kind of very modern filmmaking. But um, you're not supposed to kill the heroes. It's 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 kind of a, a the transgression of one of the fundamental laws of storytelling. At least kind of storytelling like Star Trek was part of. And so the fact that 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 Spock died and gave his life to save his friends. Um, was was a was a huge um, well we didn't even know if it was a cliffhanger because at that time there was it wasn't even certain that there would be another movie and there were certainly no plans at the time for another TV series so was that the end of Star Trek and then in the third movie they take another element of of the the story that had been developed by the the first two movies about this this whole Genesis project, which, which again you know the whole the name Genesis refers to the first book of the Bible. It's basically this you know the the the, the terraforming thing that they can do to a planet to completely revive it, even if it's a dead moon. It can be you know turned into a lush uh, avatar like jungle planet within within a few seconds or a few minutes, and. Um, and and Spock's body gets shot into space as a as his final resting place, and then instead of just floating around there for eternity, he actually falls down and 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 drops on the planet. And and uh, lo and behold, uh, the search for Spock shows us that Spock was not dead, or perhaps that he died, but he lives again, and he's regenerated in this Genesis environment. So 
very, very strong Christian undertones here uh, when it comes to the resurrection of Spock. And Spock after that, and that's another similarity with the, let's say, the gospel story of the resurrection of Christ. If you look at the, the gospel stories, the, after the resurrection, Christ is not the same anymore. And, and he's kind of in a, he's part of this reality. He's definitely not a ghost because he eats uh, with his, his friends and, and he lets them touch, touch him. But at the same time, he can appear in their midst and, and disappear again. And so there is definitely like an, a new layer to the reality of, of Christ. And, and uh, what struck me while re-watching the third movie is that with Spock, you've got a similar uh, situation where they find the resurrected Spock and he's not the same anymore. He's kind of this, you know, he's wearing this, this bathrobe and uh, he behaves, mm-hmm. he, he's lost his memory. Um, and so he's kind of almost, uh, he's a very spiritual guy all of a sudden and almost like in between this world and whatever Spock Vulcan afterlife there is. And, um, and, and even the, his, his white bathrobe, I think evokes a little bit of the, at least the the iconography that we have for of of Christ, who is always wearing white, and, and Spock becomes almost kind of this this this, this shepherd like figure. Well, you know, he's he's the alien among us, and and if you think about each of the series, they they all have this this alien or android in the case of Data, who is is not human, but if you look at the character development is the most human of all mm-hmm. and, and of course Christ would be the most human of all in his in his human aspect because of perfection um, but each one of these each one of these characters is seeking to discover how to how to be human and so I think that that also contributes to to that imagery that you have going on there it's interesting, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I had a discussion with our um, red shirt guest of, uh, of these first two episodes um, about exactly this theme of, you know, uh, we've got a, a number of characters in Star Trek history that are a blend of, of two uh, species or two worlds and Spock is the first character that does that. He's half Vulcan, half human. Uh, we've got uh, Data, who is a, an android, but at the same time is learning so much about what it means to be human, inclu- including telling lame jokes. And then we've got Seven of Nine, uh, well, someone who has been a Borg for, I don't know, 20 years of her life and, and, and is also struggling with that, you know, it's kind of in between the, the human world and the, and the, the, the Borg collective. And, um, and I had a very, very interesting discussion about that, you know, because the... The, the Star Trek, let's say the, the people around Star Trek, the, the ones that kind of summarize the episodes and then write books about it, they, they always emphasize the fact that these characters like Spock, like uh, Data, are, are trying to find humanity, that that is the goal of their journey. And, and he's got some interesting different thoughts about that and, and why... It is, it is important for Star Trek and for what Star Trek wants to convey as a message that these personalities, that these characters 
are actually remain this this kind of impossible combination of of humanity and something that is not totally human. And uh, so what I w- want to suggest is that we beam down once more to Amsterdam and that we uh, that we meet Mr. Shapiro one more time and talk about about data, about Seven of Nine, and about Spock. Oftentimes in, in Star Trek, uh, this is narrative technique is used where an observer who is from a different culture or even from a different, let's say, uh, it's a different species, um, kind of observes humanity, observes the crew of the Enterprise, observes their behavior right. and like comments Hugh, on it. Hugh at the beginning Hugh of the Hugh definitely does that. Yeah. Um, Sees us as very primitive and barbaric. You, yes. you also write about, um, in, in your book, about these these. Uh, characters like Spock, Data, um, Seven of Seven Nine, Nine. These, right. these kind of half hybrid, half human, half something else, Android right. or anything. Right. Uh, what, what's, what is the connection between these characters? Uh, well, I think the, uh, the idea of hybrid characters is hugely important. Spock is a great character divided between logic and emotions because he's half Vulcan and half human. And that addresses directly the quandary, the dilemma that we are in in the Western culture where we've had a terrible mind-body dualism, a terrible individual social dualism, a terrible city nature mm-hmm. yeah. dualism, the art- artificial and the, and the natural. Uh, see, Western right. culture... Is has been involved in a lot of terrible dualisms, which began with Plato and Aristotle, uh, because mm-hmm. they established a science of of the mind, observing the body, observing physical reality, and that's really. And I think we've come to the end of that. Long arc. So, so in a way, our fascination with these characters, because I, I, I personally feel that that Spock and Data are the most interesting characters in 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 the Star Star Trek narrative. Our fascination could be that they embody kind of this unification instead of this opposition between the two sides. Am, am I inter- interpreting you correctly? Absolutely, and I I think you know I'm I'm Data, the android is a very important, fascinating character. Now, the official... One thing I do in my book is I identify what I call the official Star Trek industry, which I see as being involved in a tension with the real meaning of the stories when you look at them like a literary scholar and really see what the stories are saying. Now the official Star Trek industry repeats what 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 interpretation do they give us about Data as a character? They say Data wants to become human. Data feels uneasy about his existence as an android because he's not human and he dreams of becoming human. They well, often present Data as, as uh, the Pinocchio as the figure, Pinocchio but, but figure, the, the, you think, think that's, that's a reduction wrong. of what he is. Exactly. It's a reduction and it's in fact wrong because the, the android, as represented by Data, 
And the same idea is there in Blade Runner, and that's what's great about uh, Blade Runner, is androids have a life of their own, an identity of their own. We need to respect the otherness of androids, and data has great qualities and a right to life, a right that's in the episode The Measure of a Man when he's on trial yeah. about being human. Data has a right to life and he has great qualities as an and- android, as an artificial life, non silicone based conscious being. And what we should, what the episodes point to, if you really watch them closely, the great data episodes the next generation is the singularity of the android and in fact data as a teacher to humanity as a mirror held up to humanity which is the same idea as the great 19th century novelists like Dickens and 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 Flaubert and Stendhal had the same idea about literature as as a mirror to humanity and the same thing with Seven of Nine and Star Trek Voyager another great hybrid cyborg character the official Star Trek industry calls Seven of Nine becoming human in fact there's a book that they that they put out with scripts of several of the most important seven of nine episodes Hmm. and it's called becoming human as if that's all that seven of nine dreams of and aspires to is to become human and in my chapter on seven of nine i called it becoming borg seven of nine like I re- reversed it because I really think that's what Seven of Nine is is about. She had, she has qualities as a Borg, which she wants to preserve, and which are very interesting and which are different from just. And why should she become human? She spent, I think, eighteen years of her life living among the Borg. That's a a huge portion of her existential life experience, her cultural identity. Why should she just give that up and throw it away to become a a human? It's ridiculous. That's what really fascinates me is that... um, what you call the, like the industry of, of Star Trek kind of gives us almost prescribes us a certain interpretation of yes. the story. And whereas it's your your take is reductionism. it's it's yeah in a way it is it is it's actually hampering uh, the impact of Star Trek because yes. it's it's just forcing us into one direction. Whereas of course a, a lot of storytelling always has multiple meanings and different layers. And if Star Trek were really the things that the Star Trek industry say it is it would have never been so popular and successful in the first place. Its success and popularity comes from its literary force, the literary force of the Kirk and Spock 60s Star yeah. Trek. Well, it's like, it's like saying, oh, it's, it might be similar to the difference between, let's say, uh, the Lord of the Rings trilogy and, and Narnia, where Narnia is, is, is meant as a metaphor, and, and it's, it's very, uh, you know, the lion is Jesus, and this is that, whereas Lord of the Rings is much more open and has, is more multi-layered, and, and so you've gotten much more 
reflection in, in, in all sorts of directions about the, the, the meaning. And, and, and a lot of the interpretation might go even beyond the intent of the author, just as I think in Star Trek, a lot of these classic stories, and, and I think you used like 24 of your favorite episodes, they carry meaning that is perhaps way beyond what the, the authors intended when they were writing it down. Yeah, so just, I just want to mention the, the 1956 science fiction film Forbidden Planet, which actually had a great in influence on Star Trek, and I think Roddenberry took a lot of ideas from that film. Uh, but I agree with what you said about Lord of the Rings. Uh, or, let's say, the film The Matrix, and the difference between the first Matrix and then the sequels. Uh, this is what often happens is that, you know, the first Matrix was a brilliant creative film, something truly original, and it became a success kind of by accident. The Wachowski yeah. brothers were, un were unknown, uh, they were not on the map, and they had this great idea of, uh, you know, this idea that life and the world as we know it is really a computer program a virtual reality computer program running on a box somewhere in fact there's a Star Trek episode very similar to that the ones with, with Moriarty uh, with, da oh, yeah. with Data Sherlock Holmes Moriarty has yeah. a similar idea uh, now once the Matrix became a success then you, the producers cash in on that by making it into an industry, an industry of a series of Matrix films. So this is what, uh, in, you know, sort of me as a sociologist of media culture, what I have identified is that it very often operates in this way, is that you have a tension between the original creativity of a story and then it becomes a culture industry and, and then you have often rather banal, banal uh, mm -hmm. film and TV productions that, that are made. And we're back here on the bridge with uh, our four crew members right now, Mike, Maria, uh, Steve, and Mark. Uh, Maria, you were, um, uh, th there was a little bit of a technical mal malfunction last time that we wrapped up our first episode, so I, I will ask you first. Um, do you have a tip for our listeners, or do you have a website that you want to plug? Oh, sure. You know, I, I, just, I just love the, the mystique of William Shatner. You know, of course, we love Captain Kirk, but Shatner Wait, has. Did kind you of say the, mis the mystique own. of Shatner? Yes, he cracks me up. You know, he he just he <laughs> is an entity all to him himself. And I have recently been following the Shatner Project on YouTube, which what is, is that? What is that? hilarious? <laughs> and just look up the shatnerproject.com he's into tweeting now i follow him on twitter and he's got this outrageous website that's just over the top but the shatner project hilarious the first episode is an audio tweet to of all people elizabeth taylor interesting now i'm curious <laughs> <laughs> i'll have to get back to you about that mark do you have any tips or suggestions uh, yes, actually, um, with the whole theme of self-sacrifice and everything, it's, it's quite interesting to uh, recommend a an, an episode of Star Trek. 
It's one from uh, from the sixth season of Deep Space Nine. It's called In the Pale Moonlight. And it's not so much um, a clear-cut episode of someone sacrificing himself, but in this case, Captain Sisko does sacrifice his own self-image, his own self-worth, his own um, self-esteem, I think. And it's, 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 he gives that up for the greater good, or what he perceives to be the greater good. Um, I think it's very it's a very interesting episode to watch in this light of the topic of self-sacrifice and stuff like that. Very cool. I'm still not there. I'm, I've only just begun to watch DS9. It's the only series that I haven't watched. And so I'm in the first season. I'm liking it a lot. I always discarded oh, it because I it, saw I, I saw the episodes out of order uh, a couple of years ago. And, uh, mm. and there were just lots of Ferengi in the episodes that I watched. And they were extremely <laughs> annoying. So I was like, nah, I'm not going to watch this. But but mm. n- I, now that I'm watching everything in sequence, I'm, I'm really... Uh, Impressed, even by the first season, which, uh, according to mm. what I've heard, is not even the best season. No, it 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 only gets better after this. Fantastic, <laughs> Mike uh, Kuipers. You had an episode that you want to recommend that has to do with the the theme that we talked about last week in our first episode, the theme of of leadership. Uh, which which episode is that? Oh, that was Galileo Seven. Uh, oh, Galileo Seven. Uh, yeah, Maria talked about it. Uh, yeah. already, and it's uh, it's a good one for. Seeing the different leader, uh, you know, the leader techniques, however you want to say it, between uh, Spock and Kirk, Very and well. how how even Spock comes to the conclusion that being logical all the time is not, uh, you know, <laughs> that does, isn't the way to go. <laughs> it doesn't always you know? make sense to be logical. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's, you know, some, that being logical 100% of the time doesn't necessarily make a good leader. Very good. Well, thank you so much. And uh, thanks also to Steve Nelson, who had to leave early for another away mission. But uh, let me mention that Steve is also one of the hosts of uh, another series called The Secrets of Flash Forward. Um, Flash Forward is a is a very popular TV series in, currently in its first season. It's I think it's already picked up for a second season. Um, some people call it the successor to Lost in terms of uh, storytelling. And uh, Steve does a show with uh, a few friends of him about... It's, and it's kind of in the same league as what we try to do with The Secrets of Star Trek, where they, they talk not, not just... They are, they are not just rehashing every episode, but they go a, bit, a little bit more in-depth and talk about the themes the underlying themes you know the, the things like like morality and, and what what how how are you going to live your life if you know how it's going to end you know if you've seen the future how does it impact the moral choices that people make it's a very interesting show uh, and a very interesting podcast so check that out you can find that also on the website of the StarQuest production network sqpn.com and that's also where you can find this episode and all the previous and f- future episodes of the secrets of Star Trek and if you want to you can also uh, leave us comments there and uh, and enter a discussion you can also reach us via email, um, and the email address is startrek at sqpn.com. If you have a question, if you've got suggestions or ideas, or if you just want to say hi um, and give us uh, some heads up, uh, it's all very welcome, and we'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to this episode. Take care. God bless. Happy Easter. Blessed Easter. And as always, live long and prosper. SQPN, leading the way in Catholic new media.